0: Welcome to the Slam Radio podcast featuring the Lauren Goodwin show. Hey guys, welcome in. You are now tuned into the Lauren Goodwin show. I'm here with Amanda. How are you? How was your week? It was great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um in Houston this week, so back at home with my family. I know school is starting for a lot of people. So that's what everybody's busy doing. And today we have a special guest on the show for the very first time, Matt Barnes. How are you, Matt?
1: I'm good, Lauren, how are you doing?
0: Pretty good, he's got his son on in case you guys hear him in the back. (laughs) I'm sure most of you all know Matt, but those who don't, he was in the NBA for 14 seasons and retired after winning an NBA championship in 2017. So how's that to end your career? I would have stopped after that too. (laughs) Matt's a father, he has a young son with him today. He's a business owner and a basketball commentator. Also, recently signed a deal with Showtime and iHeartRadio for his own podcast. Matt, tell us more about that.
1: Um, it'll be season two of my podcast, All the Smoke, with myself and Stephen Jackson. Um, we signed a deal to go back to Showtime, and then also added uh, iHeart as a, I guess, a, a co-deal. Code so it's a, it's a Showtime iHeart collab, and uh, we're excited. We get started next week.
0: Nice. So, how long did it take until they contacted you?
1: Um, it was, yeah, I hadn't done anything in the podcast space. Uh, I was working for ESPN at the time and, and my co-host was working for Fox and, you know, we kept getting a bunch of positive feedback in regards to, you know, we love how real you guys, how authentic you guys are. You guys need to do something together. Um, so one day Jack and I were together, um, and I'm just like, let's do a podcast. He's like, what's the podcast? I was like, I don't know, but I know we could like talk freely. <laughs> and uh that translated into you know me i was doing a speaking on a documentary um on behalf of demarcus cousins for showtime somehow the producers of that documentary heard about it said i need to meet the people at the showtime i met them you know with no sizzle reel no nothing they signed us out of good faith and um we turned out to have one of the best podcasts
0: that's super dope i know so i'm just starting right with this um this podcast but how's
1: that going thankful
0: that you're able to come on it's it's going pretty good uh but now you've had a very decorated career doing so many things how are you able to i know a lot of people probably want to know this how are you able to balance your social life family and still have time and energy to accomplish things like building your brand after basketball once you were finished in the nba
1: um, you know, stepping away from the NBA, I did because I just felt it was time. Actually, oddly, oddly enough, the year I retired was the year I had signed a three-year deal, but happened to win a championship that year and uh, just decided it was time to to see what was next. You know, I got 14 years, um, was fortunate enough to be a part of a championship team, and I was ready for what was next in life. And then I was also missing a lot of time with my kids, uh, you know, I have a, a twin 11-year-old boys that are downstairs right now on their uh virtual learning and then I have my 21 21 month old ash so then really after that was luckily at about I retired at 37 at about 32 I started thinking about what was next um started investing my money in companies and and, and ideas that I liked and five years later in 2017 the year I won a championship like some of the businesses really kind of started to turn over So I I didn't really step away from the game like what was next. I already had something that I was doing. So putting my kids first, obviously, and then business next. I've been very happy and and busier than ever post-career working for ESPN Disney, um, you know, having my own podcast with Showtime and iHeart now and just, you know, being a cannabis advocate and and, and a content producer. So my hands have been very full post-career. And, you know, that, that's, I really, when you say, how do I make time? I really don't do anything outside of be a father in business. You know, I was fortunate enough to play a long time and I've been in LA for a long time. So I got all the partying out of my system and, and traveled the world. So, you know, now it's just really about, you know, being a really hands-on father, which I'm able to coach my twins at football and basketball and then business and building my brand.
0: Nice. So it would be a shame if I didn't ask you this, just about the racial injustice and everything going on right now, because it's super important. And um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think reform is coming soon?
1: Um, it's, it's a crazy situation. And I think people have to understand that, you know, no matter what we do, what we fight for, what progress we make, we probably aren't going to really reap the benefits. I think our children and their children are going to reap the benefits. And we also understand it's going to be a process regardless because it took 400 years to get to this point. So there's nothing that the NBA can say or do or any one group can say or do that's going to automatically abolish racism or you know stop cops from unjustly killing unarmed minorities um so it, it, like i said it's unfortunate i think it's been a crazy 2020 but one thing it's done is it's brought you know the underbelly of this country to a to a to the forefront and a lot of people still nice. with it in their face still want to deny it but uh, there's enough people that have kind of seen after the george floyd Death. That there's really some unjust things going on in this country. Not only with man schooling and housing and and healthcare, but really right in front of their face with just the actual blatant racism between other, whether it be pedestrian to pedestrian or you know the police to minorities. So, like I said, it, it, it's something right now that's going on. I think it had to happen. It, it, it's it's been ugly. I feel like it probably will get a little uglier before it gets better. But I definitely feel like we're. Um, we're headed somewhat in the right direction from a standpoint of, for the first time in the years, they're finally listening. They never listened, so now they're finally listening. And I think as, as, a, as a culture, as a race, as a group, we have to understand and, and figure out what strategic plan we're going to do next. Uh, we can march all we want, and that definitely right. got their attention. But what's the plan after we march? So I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a lot of people. I myself are, are trying to add to the plan of what's next, but it's going to take a lot of us. And hopefully once we get that, we can execute it.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. And you talked about how important it is to you to be a father to your children. You, know, you have two 11-year-olds and you have your son right there with you. We can hear him in the back. How has it been having to explain to them what's going on in the world right now? Because as we know, for us, we're able to absorb the news and figure out for ourselves and understand what's going on. But for young individuals like your sons, it's been, how has it been explaining to them what's going on in our world today?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting time, you know, because they are 11. So they, you know, kids now are all over the internet and they see and hear stuff. Um, so I particularly talk to them, you know, one about being, you know, I'm Italian and black, and my twins are Mexican, and and, excuse me, their mom is Mexican and black, so my kids are, you know, biracial Italian, um, Mexican and black, and we've had conversations just solely based on before the situation, you know, just kind of giving them a heads up of, you know, some people are going to end up hating you solely on the fact of the color of your skin, and kind of had them talk through that, and understand how and why, and, you know, we we kind of had a, a conversation on that, and then when the George Floyd stuff hit, i had asked them what they thought and what they heard. And the first thing they said is, is, a, is a cop killed another unarmed black person. And for them to say another one, I'm just like, okay, so they know what's going on. You know, you, you're not sure where that your kids are at with stuff. And you know, so I asked, and we, I asked them how I made them feel. And they said sad and they don't understand why. And then I actually asked them a question. That's we were, tough. We were on the way to uh, basketball practice uh, one Saturday morning. And I said, are you bored to hate or taught to hate? and they both looked at each other and and thought for a second and then they said you're taught right I'm like absolutely so then the other twin says okay so all we have to do is teach Ashton who's their little brother how to love and it it really kind of choked me up because it's really as simple as that you know hate is a taught trait just like anything else is and it's unfortunate some people teach at a young age to hate based on anything really but uh, particularly the color of your skin so That was kind of like a a a wow situation to me that 11 year olds you know in the midst of a conversation like well all we have to do is teach our little brother how to love and and it's really at the root of it it's that simple so um you know like not only that but just approaching all different kind of conversations as a father in today's society i'm really trying to be proactive instead of reactive um, because you just never know what they're going to look at on their phone or do on online playing video games with their friends or what their friends are going to tell them. So, you know, I'm one of those fathers that kind of try to stay ahead of the curve, whether it's, you know, humorously talking about girls and and, and and what's coming with that. I'd rather kind of have it in their face instead of being one of those naive parents that think my kids don't know anything, see anything or talk about anything. So right. it, it it's definitely a, a an, an active job these days trying to stay ahead of, of, of what's going on in the world with your kids.
0: And you've been super transparent. I know you were you and your ex wife were on reality TV and you kind of grew up in that. So how old were your kids during that time? Because if you're super transparent about, you know, cannabis and things yeah. like that, then you had to have been telling them, you know, we're going to be on air, we're going to be on TV. And what'd they think about that?
1: Um, well, actually it was, you know, we kind of helped start, unfortunately, you know, after the Flavor of Love, there was Basketball Wives. And that came about when Shaq and I were teammates. And the twins mom at the time we had just had the twins the twins were baby babies maybe a handful of old so they weren't really aware what was going on but at the same time it was you know we had been together for maybe a, a year year and a half and all of a sudden and and went back and forth with my ex at the time you know shaq's just like hey you know this is going to be something that's really cool and them empowering themselves and stepping outside of our shadow and running foundations and kids so I was under the impression like it was some positive shit and it was the furthest thing from anything positive to, you know, perpetuate, you know, what what kind of lifestyle we live or how we raise our families. So unfortunately, we we did that. Um, I ended up doing like one show and quitting because I immediately saw what they were on. Fortunately, the twins mom was locked into a contract. So she ended up doing it for three years. But I kind of realized, you know, once we opened and this is kind of pre social media. So this is 2000. Nine. So this is kind of early. Twitter, Instagram wasn't even out yet. But I, I realized then, once we allowed people to look inside to our, our look inside our life, we couldn't get mad at people commenting on our life. You know, so we've right. been very, we've been very public. Our life has been very public ever since then. So, you know, we went through a, a tough, <laughs> crazy divorce that was was very public and. Ever since then, my my personal life has been a part of my life and people's everyday life. So, then then, I just kind of realized that I have to take everything in stride and, and and really try to keep stuff after that as private as possible. And you know, sometimes I succeeded, sometimes I didn't. But it was just a, like I said, an interesting time and a, and a, and, a, and a really something that started that and that really caught on like wildfire. But I don't necessarily agree with it because it's fake. Like I said,
0: yeah, the reality fake, is- a, a, fake, yeah.
1: a fake reality of what we really live like. And, and it's crazy to think that like people really aspire to be reality stars now. And it's just like, that's insane to me.
0: I know, that is crazy. So do you have a regret? Do you regret doing it? No, I, don't, it?
1: I mean, I don't regret. Like I said, I, I definitely wouldn't blame it on anything. You know, like we were already young and, 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 and going through stuff, so I don't, I don't think it helped our relationship, but I wouldn't blame our split on it, and you just live and you learn, you know, I decided to give my ex a platform to kind of do everything she's doing now, um, it, it crossed me over into that reality space world, so, you know, not only am I known for basketball, I'm, I'm, I'm known in that space as well, so I can't say it was all bad, but it was right. like a positive representation of what we're about.
0: Definitely. So a lot of a lot of fans asked about that, but I'm sure you get asked that all the time because you're reality TV. So I I did most of the questions relating to basketball. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first one is from Jake from Maui, and he said, what's been one of the craziest things you've heard from a fan?
1: Oh, man. Fans are crazy. I love fans. (laughs) Um, I think (laughs) there's some some fans that go overboard. Um, And I only say overboard is when they, they, you know they bring race into it or, or, or bring yep. into it. And then that's the case, you know, you'll probably catch me talking back. I was fine a lot for talking shit back to, to fans or, or responding back to fans. But, you know, I, I don't like the fact that some fans think because we make a lot of money or they pay a certain amount for a ticket that they could say anything to us, like that we're not human, we're not men. And I don't let that shit fly. So I don't care about my job. I care more about respect than being a man. Right. So I, t- I don't take kindly to like real, real disrespect. But as far as just fans saying crazy stuff, I loved it. You know, I think Portland had a really crazy crowd. Oklahoma City had a really crazy crowd you kind of find like those small towns that don't have much going on in basketball like everything is where you'll find the craziest fans that kind of say the funniest stuff sometimes but to point anything out I don't know I mean over a 14 year career I didn't heard everything so um, that's great because I'll interact with them and kind of make it a part of the game and then you know that's an experience they'll remember for the rest of like you know I would I was- back and forth cussing Matt Barnes out or Matt Barnes cussed me out or right. this you know what I mean so it's kind of something that'll stick with them and they'll remember for a long time so like I said I think it's a cool part of the game as it stays within the you know the, the, the boundaries of respect
0: yeah, yeah. And I think that's why the fans like like you and want to listen to your podcast and they've been asking about all the smoke and it's because you are real and you just it is what it is like you can either right. take it or not and in this world right. now I feel like every- Everything's reality and you don't know reality TV, you don't know who's real, who's not. People are putting right. stuff on Instagram that isn't even true. And I, um, you've kept it real from the start so people yeah. respect that a lot.
1: Yeah, and no, I just, uh, to me, you know, being able to cross over from an athlete to the media space and, and being in reality TV, you see how much stuff is bullshit and fake. You know, people think reality is real life. Like I remember when we were, my, girl, my ex was on the show, like, oh, you really don't like so-and-so? You really don't this? And she's like, I don't really even know these women, you know, to be honest with you. So, you know, the storylines are, are 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 fake and, 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 and the drama is fake, but people live and die by that. Um, you know, but then at the same time, you know, with me being straight from the cuff, you know, uh, hard on my sleeve, it costs me a little bit in my career, but at the same time, I think it's what I'm winning on now is, right, like you said, you know, my my, my, my realistic views, my, my, my from the heart, you know, no sugarcoat and take it or leave it. You know, and I think I have found a way to not always like everyone and not always agree with everyone. But if I'm talking within the context of my job or analyzing, I think there's a way to critique people without disrespecting them. You know, because I know how hard it is to play in the NBA and how very few people actually do it. And and it bothers me when people who never played just are disrespectful about their critique they're giving, like not understanding. Like, this And the only reason why you're critiquing our game is because you weren't good enough to play it. You know, so like I said, I think I'm not someone that's always on the player side or always this, this and that. But like I said, there's ways to critique or not like something about a player or a situation without disrespecting them and I think people appreciate that and, and definitely the players appreciate it because I get a lot of feedback from you know players telling me how real I keep it and how authentic my point of view is and how like I said I don't sugarcoat anything but I don't cross a line as far as disrespecting people
0: yeah somebody asked somebody asked who, who's the most who resembles you the most in the NBA right now which player uh,
1: I would probably say you know I'm One of the last of a dying breed from like just the old school physical style players. So talking noise. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and my whole thing was I really didn't talk shit to be honest with you until someone talked back to me. I just played hard. You know, my thing was I was a football player at heart, you know, so I was a big time football player. coming up and switched over to basketball and chose basketball going to college because i kept getting so tall but i naturally like being physical i was always fighting as a child so i just like playing really physical so it was never really me talking i would talk back but like i said i think i would do such a good job of guarding people would piss them off to make them want to talk Probably. shit but yep. um if there was anyone that kind of resembled me right now that kind of a do-it-all type player um i would say like a pj tucker or like a draymond green you know guys that do you know sacrifice their, their, their game for the betterment of their team, always doing the dirty work, always guarding the best player and, and, and never really getting much credit for it. I would probably say, yeah, I, I would probably say the, the two players in the NBA that are most similar to what my role was in the NBA are those two guys.
0: Yeah, I feel like P.J. Tucker, he lays it all out there. I'm watching, of Absolutely. course, I live in Houston. So love watching, love watching his game. He actually trained with irv roland who um trained me as well so he'd be working out before me nice and just how he plays in a game is the same way he goes hard in the workouts every rep every
1: and you and you respect that too because you know along with myself it wasn't it wasn't sweet from the beginning everyone thinks oh you make it to the nba you get drafted you're in the nba you're a millionaire and this this and that and you know, my path was definitely different. And, you know, his path was different, you know, playing overseas and, and, and playing all over the world before he really got his chance to cement his feet in the NBA. And ever since he really got that opportunity, he's been making the best of it. So, like I said, I appreciate his journey, his path, and, 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 and the dedication and hard work he puts into his craft.
0: Oh, somebody said describe your journey to the NBA in five words.
1: Oh, man, in five words. In
0: five words, Matt. <laughs> That's tough.
1: I went from hell and back. I went from hell and back. That's six. That's
0: you know, six. my my my, my,
1: <laughs> my journey started. You know, I was drafted. Um, didn't really get a chance. I was cut, and I played in the in the G League back like the second year of the G League and it was terrible. But we were in these nasty, roach infested motels, taking buses everywhere. And that was really a wake up call for me. You know what I mean? I think not that I was ever been high on myself Happy. or gloated, but you know, I I saw it was a sigh of relief. I think it was only natural when I got drafted, like, okay, like now I'm here. But then going to training camp and not really getting a chance, it was kind of like a slap in the face, like, damn, okay, I got a lot of work to do. So I went and, and ended the G League for a year. And then after that, I got picked up by the Clippers. And, you know, fortunately I had a, a successful 14-year career, but it was never sweet. You know what I mean? The first handful of years I didn't get a chance to play, so I bounced from team to team and was almost on my way out of the NBA. Um, so, like I said, I was – a the number one football player in the country my senior year Uh, from the receiver position, All-American led the nation in touchdowns. So after my fourth year, I was just like, well, shit, I almost kind of started doubting myself. I wasn't getting a chance to play. I wasn't sure if I was going to have an opportunity to play the next season. So I was working out for football because my brother played football as well. And so I was doing basketball and football workouts Uh, in the summer. And my agent had got a handful of NFL teams to give me an open tryout that if I didn't end up going to camp or making a team with someone, that I was going to try to play in the NFL. But luckily that summer um, was when Golden State came around the first time and, and made the team and we made NBA history. And then, you know, my career was kind of off ever since then.
0: Do you think, like, on the women's side that they should have, like, a G League kind of thing or they should have more teams or they need to figure that out, like, ASAP?
1: I think they need to strengthen the WNBA game first because as strong as the NBA game was, The G League was really weak at the beginning and almost didn't survive, you know what I mean? So I think from a a standpoint of starting a farm system, you want to make sure your your main product is as strong as it can be. And I still feel like, you know, obviously women are underpaid and and, and underappreciated, but at the same time, kind of understanding the dynamic of why and what. Causes that, you know what I mean? Because it's, it's really all about how many eyes you can bring to the table and, and right. how many fans and how many viewers you have. And although you guys have a lot, it doesn't really register when it comes to a lot for professional oh, yeah. sports. So I think, right. like I said, I, I'm always speaking up on behalf of the WNBA and love how proactive you guys are in life. Uh, you know, we talked about this on ESPN the other day. And we asked why that the the WNBA so far ahead of the curve Mm -hmm. with this social justice movement. And I said, it's because they've been fighting for equality since their inauguration, you know, since the very first year of the league, the women's been talking about, you know, equal, 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 see us equal, pay us equal. We can play equal, you know? So if any, anybody understands the struggle in society that minorities go through, it's the women that are struggling to obtain equal footing. So, I would like to eventually see a minor league system, but I mean, from all my understanding is, you know, you guys don't really make that much from the WNBA. So most women make their money overseas. overseas so I can al- yeah. So I can only imagine if you don't really make a lot in the WNBA, you'd probably make nothing in the, in, in the farm system, in the, in the WNBA and, and, and women can't, you know, that's a lot, you know, to have to have like another right, job a and play basketball, you know, so it, it's a lot going on. So, you know, Obviously, ideally, I would like to see it, but I think that the, the WNBA, as a, as a whole, has to strengthen uh, their their main product before they you know, start a minor league product. But yeah. I'm all for, but I'm all th- for it.
0: I think they should add more teams, though. You know, there's 12 teams in 12 spots for each team, uh-uh. and, and likely like nine or 10 of those are already taken up by people who are uh-huh. on contract so there's like one uh-huh. to two spots every season yeah. that's like that's like you yeah. going in there like the gauntlet to make that
1: difference. right like fingers crossed i remember you guys talking about that at the, at the five ball tournament just like how the odds are, and especially with the covid year that there wasn't really even a, a, a training camp per se or an opportunity so yeah. it's 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 tough to you know almost be struck by lightning because like you said a, a majority of those contracts or spots are already filled so it's 10 girls fighting for one spot or 10 girls fighting for two spots you know so it's it's a tough situation i think yeah they definitely need to find a way to expand um and strengthen to 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 give these women a chance
0: right and, and then usually there's, like, a first-round draft pick, so they're probably going to get that spot, right, you know? So right. there's, like, one more for basically everybody else. And so they start looking into other things because yep. they have to. So where did they go to school? Right. You know, how many followers? Because that's going mm-hmm. to bring people the game. They want eyes yeah. on the yeah. on game. So there's yeah. so many factors that go into it. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's a lot different now because, you know, not only – women's sports but just sports as a whole like you're able to be a brand you know outside the scene and you're learning that you know you're building a whole brand obviously you were an athlete to to kind of get the recognition to begin with through college and in your shot in the WNBA but you know the catch you made and and it goes viral has you know afforded you a lot of new opportunities so like you said there's there's a lot of ways to build your brand now outside of actually just playing that sport and and I like that opportunity because like you said the numbers are really stacked against anybody trying to make professional sports you know so if you can find a way to you know maximize your brand um, and if you're not fortunate enough to have a long career and and not many people are you know there's still ways for you to eat um, kind of loving uh, doing what you love
0: Definitely. Somebody asked uh, funny, what's your funniest moment with the, we believe warriors. I don't even know what that means. The, we believe warriors.
1: <laughs> so that was the team. So that was the year that I made the team. Like I was debating that 2006, 2007, you're probably a little kid in elementary school back then. <laughs> um, that was the year I was deciding, was I going to stick with the NBA or go to the NFL? So that was the year that I stuck with the N- NBA and, and ended up, it was a crazy situation where there was, they were already, so that the year I went to the training camp with the warriors, um, they had already had all their roster spots filled. They had, they, they had had 15 people under contract. They had three people, or excuse me, 14 people under contract, it was a 15-man roster. They had three people that they had had playing last year They came back and they had like five throw-ins. And then I was like the last addition. And they're like, you know, if you you go out here and do your thing, I'll give you an opportunity. And I went out there and beat eight people out for one spot and, you know, started off slow, but then got an opportunity to play and work myself all the way from the last man in training camp in the last roster spot to (coughs) by the time the season that I was starting. And um, we were the first number eight seed in NBA history to beat a number one seed. Dirk's team had won like 68 games that year. Dirk was MVP.
0: Mm, I remember they, that
1: they, they were number one, we were number eight, and that was the we believe season. That you know, we all believed that we can beat them, and we were the first team in NBA history to beat a number one seed in a seven-game series, and we we beat the shit out of them. So oddly enough, it was weird because that was in 2006, 2007, and then I came back in 2017 for the championship run. And when I tell you, that's all the players wanted to know about, all the fans wanted to know about, all the media wanted to know about was what was that team like? Because we were we were some outlaws. It was kinda, yeah, it was like a bunch of just mif- misfits, you know, guys that have played and had success but had some trouble or hadn't really had no success yet. And we just kind of came together after we had a trade in January that kind of bonded us like brothers. And it brought Steven Jackson, who's the co-host of my podcast now with me, to our team. And we just bonded, you know. So we were on and off the court together on, you know, played hard and then played harder off the court. You know, we were always together. Watching game film, going to dinner, going to clubs, smoking, drinking, everywhere we went, and we just <laughs> lived that life. You know what I mean? Like we were like the real bad boys of the NBA, and uh, you know, made NBA history. So that we believe team is is, is something that kind of left a mark on a lot of people's uh, hearts and minds.
0: Yeah, I'm seeing that. I saw that a couple times. I was like, okay, I'm going to ask one of these questions um, to figure out. To figure what, out
1: what, what the hell is this? Right. Yeah, but Matt.
0: Thank you so much for all your time and Ashton over there. I know he, you know, he's trying to get your attention. Oh,
1: he's he's over here going, just crawling. Hey, hey, you want to say hi? You say hi, Ashton. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. Um, yeah, thank and, you all
0: for tuning in, everyone. And don't forget, you can listen to Matt's podcast via iHeartRadio and Showtime. But everyone, have a good day, and thanks again, Matt, for coming on.
1: No doubt. Have a good one.
0: The views and opinions expressed on The Lauren Goodwin Show are entirely those of the hosts, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Slam Radio.